Welcome to the Automotive Leaders Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future by sharing stories, insights, and skills from leading voices in the automotive world with a mission to transform this industry together. I'm your host, Jan Griffiths, that passionate, rebellious farmer's daughter from Wales with over 35 years of experience in our beloved auto industry and a commitment to empowering fellow leaders to be their best authentic selves. Stay true to yourself. Be you and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership. Let's dive in. Hello. Today, we have two guests and we're flipping the script, which is something that I love to do. You know I'm all about breaking the mold. Well, here it is today. I thought it was time that instead of talking about what we think Gen Z wants from leadership in the workplace, why don't we just ask them? And so I reached out to two extremely smart young people, Gen Zs. Yes, they are. Give them the label. I know you guys don't like the label, but there it is that I have known through my experience and my time with Wayne State University. I sit on the advisory board for Wayne State for supply chain management, and I'm thrilled to engage with the students. And that's where I learn a lot about how they learn, how they work, how they want to work, the culture they want to work in, and what they expect from leadership. So today, you're going to meet Delena Yatuma and Luke Tappan. And we're going to have that discussion about exactly what it is they expect from authentic leaders in the workplace. So pay attention. Let's start off with Delena. Delena, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jan, for having me. It's an honor, honor to be here with you. Oh, I got a chill when you said that. Thank you. And I know that you're an avid supporter of the podcast and thank you for all your feedback. Of course, of course. So tell us a little bit about your background and your work experience, Delaney. Great. So I graduated in May of this year from Wayne State. I worked full-time as I was um, also studying full-time. I began my work experience in the jewelry industry as a buyer um, working with a lot of luxury goods. And I've moved into now the healthcare industry where I work as a data analyst. Okay, great. Let's move over to Luke. Luke, welcome to the show. Hi, Jan. Thank you so much for having us on. Big fan of the, of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So Luke, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I grew up in, and I was homeschooled in my family. And so after uh, high school, I went to Schoolcraft Community College in Livonia. And then uh, I started a business club there. So that kind of broke me out of my shell even more. And then I moved on to Wayne State, as you mentioned. And I graduated from Wayne State University, as you mentioned, uh, in 2019 with global supply chain management and finance degrees. 
Okay. And your work experience so far, Luke? I was blessed with the opportunity to work a lot in the automotive industry. So I started my first uh, internship at the Automotive Industry Action Group. I was very uh, thankful to get that opportunity and then moved on to uh, Tier 1 Suppliers, as well as I worked in Hong Kong for a a summer uh, for a, a freight forwarder. It was a wonderful opportunity. And now you're with a tier one, I believe, right? Yes, correct. Right now I'm working as a commodity buyer uh, for a major tier one auto uh, supplier. Great. So what I love is that you're fresh into the workplace. And I want to start off with a question about mission. I've been talking a lot lately about how important it is to have a mission as a company, as a company, as a department, you know, as the leader of a team and as an individual. Now, when I started my career, I couldn't care less about whether or not the company had a mission. I didn't, I couldn't care less what they were all about. I just wanted a career. I wanted a job and I wanted to move up the ladder as quickly as possible. Now, I know that from my daughter, who's 19, that she, one of the first questions she will ask about a company is what are they all about? What are they? What are they on this world for? What are they on this planet for? What are they trying to do? What's the mission? Are they? You know, they're not trying to make a widget. What are they all about? And what's their brand? And the first thing you know, you do is is check all of their social media. So tell me a little bit. Um, I'll go to Delena first. How important is a company mission to you when you're considering whether or not you should work for a company? This is a concept that definitely stuck with me as I began working in the workplace. It wasn't something I considered as much as a student, um, but I do believe that both successful business leaders and companies have clarity. Um, They have clarity on who they are, what they want, and who they want to be. So once that is made clear, that drives maybe your decision if you can be a part of that mission. Um, But I think it really clicks once you meet the people there. Um, Once you once you get to adapt to, you know, what their values are and how they empower their team. And I think that is speaks more than just the the written mission on on their homepage. So you're looking for, do they really do what they say they're going to yes. do, right? Is it just a mission statement on a wall or is there something, some purpose, some deeper purpose that they're all, you know, somehow articulating? Yes. And I, I want those actions to speak louder than words. Um, I love the diversity, but I want to see that. I want to see diversity, but I still want to see that, that common goal amongst its people and its leaders, of mm. course. Yeah, well said, well said. What about you, Luke? How important is mission, company mission to you? Yeah, that's a very good question. I actually just got done listening to your last episode on mission. And I think that you had some really great points. Um, I would like to echo Delena's um, comment on clarity. Uh, Just for an example, I mean, we're talking about the auto industry a lot. Um, GM's 000 policy, I think, is a good example of clarity. And, and the kind of mission that Gen Z might really appreciate and really gravitate to. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's right. GM is a really good example. So you mean to tell me that if a company says that they want to be a world-class manufacturer of a widget and create shareholder value, uh, that that's not enough for you? Yes. Yeah, so I think that that's such a common type of mission or goal or just mission statement. And I think it it gets drowned out because there's so much of that. And it could be a, a true statement and it could be a, a good mission in a sense, but it's not going to, um, you're not going to want to gravitate to that. Yeah. It, it doesn't pull you in, right? I mean, I, you say gravitate, right? Of course, that's gravity, gravitas, right? It's it, it doesn't pull you into it. And you want to be part of something bigger, not just work for a company that produces widgets. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. So let's, let's go a little bit deeper with that. Uh, Delena, uh, obviously, when you're in the business world, uh, making the numbers is important. But the mission is also important. And I have read some research that said that millennials and Gen Z will not spend the currency of their lives on something that doesn't have mission and purpose and is much more than about about the numbers. But you have to balance it because at the end of the day, you still have a business to run. So what do you, what do you think about that statement about balancing the ROI and the bottom line with the mission, because it's it's all okay to be mission driven, but you've also got to make the numbers too. But if you make if you just keep hopping on about making the numbers and you don't talk about the culture and the people side and the mission, then that doesn't work either. So, what? Uh, give us your perspective on that. Both are important. That's a true statement. People's mentality and their priorities about numbers versus you know that mission often are misaligned. The importance of them for Gen Z, I think the numbers are a little less important to us for where we are, um, especially Luke and I in our early careers. So once I'm exposed to the correct experiences, once I'm, you know, progressing in my role, um, trying to make positive change, building those relationships, I think naturally the numbers become more concerning to me as my passion for what I'm doing grows. Um, I actually want to give an example because I work directly with the OR. I could not pronounce a single medical term on my first day of work. Um, the numbers weren't that important to me. You know, I just wanted to do my job well and I really wanted to learn. And today, eight months later, um, I care a lot about the numbers. I talk to people in on the billing team. I talk to our on-campus finance team. And that was not part of my job description. That was not part of my role. But naturally, I cared. I saw the, the number of patients we saw in the OR and how critical these procedures were and supplies and really having everything there at the right time. Um, really, things that were critical to the role, um, numbers then became important. So I think it should come more naturally versus being pushed on your throat. Yeah, that's interesting because what you're saying is the mission drives the behavior, which in turn drives the numbers, which I believe is absolutely right on. And a lot of companies drive the numbers hard with hard goals and expectations, thinking that that will drive the behavior, which will then achieve the mission. And it's it's sort of ass backwards, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit. And I think there's a right time for that. I think that pressure 
is appropriate um, at some some point of your career, but as you know, kind of entry level, I I don't see it necessary at the, at that point. Luke, you've had uh, experience in automotive. Automotive is known for being about the numbers and driving the numbers hard. What's your perspective? May I ask a clarifying question on the numbers? Absolutely. Yeah. So for the numbers, do we mean, um, I guess, the return on investment for the company in and of itself for the shareholders? It's the anything that's to do with the business metrics. So anything that's about, you know, so it's it's the the leader that's driving home the numbers. It's about making money. It's all about making money and profit and creating shareholder value and nothing else. You know, that is the driving force. So when, you know, you've got leaders that drive businesses that way and, and automotive has a lot of people that drive the business that way and mission is somehow secondary. So what's your thought on the focus on making the numbers versus the focus on the mission. How does that help? Yeah, that helps a lot. Thank you so much. So I would say there are three things that I look for in a company. Uh, one would be benefits. So that could be a, a personal pay or a vacation or anything like that. Uh, the second would be diversity of its uh, supply. So um, how how is it going to stand up in in like a downfall of the economy or, or anything like that, or uh, a recession. How would it stand up in a recession? And then the third would be the mission. So um, for for the number side of things, I think the at first Gen Z and uh, at Gen Z and millennials. And I'm glad that you uh, tied the, those two together because I'm right on the uh, the edge of both. Um, just barely a Gen Z. I think that for us, it, it comes at a personal time of when you start looking into stocks and um, retirement accounts and everything like that. Once you start looking deeper into um, your plan for retirement, then you start getting a little bit more into the numbers and you want that the company to succeed in that way. But I think to to catch someone that's uh, a Gen Z um, potential employee, I think that uh, the numbers are not going to be essential, really, in the least bit. Mm. So you're probably not going to like it too much if you've got a manager breathing down your neck every five minutes about making the numbers and the metrics, are you? Correct. And I think that that's also not really, I wouldn't say it's fair to the company to say that you can't do that because I think it's very important um, that just because someone doesn't like that, it doesn't mean that it's not important. But I think that it shouldn't be stressed in a way that neglects or negates the mission. Mm, Okay, well said. Okay, great. Let's talk about flexibility, you know, and the hybrid team. There's there's always, in a pre-COVID world, I think a lot of people thought, oh, you know, these millennials, they just want to like sit on beanbags and play football, uh, foosball or whatever it is and drink lattes all day, right? And I, I, I laugh because I've worked, uh, as you guys know, I used to work at, we work occasionally and now I'm in a, a different co-working space um, called Bamboo. And I have witnessed people of m- all generations working in this co-working space, but there's a large percentage that are young, very young people, Gen Z, a lot of startups. 
And, you know, I will, I will tell you from my direct experience that the people that are in there are working really, really hard. They're on their schedule. They don't like to come in early, I noticed, um, but they'll stay late when they need to. But if it's a nice day and they want to go for a walk in the park, they go for a walk in the park. But when they're on and they're focused, they are 100% focused. And I love watching that sort of work culture because it just seems very natural and better than trying to fit this mold of, you know, you got to be in the office at this time and you got to leave at this time and you can't leave before your boss. So tell me a little bit about what you would like to see the workplace um, in terms of the flexible work options and the hybrid team. What's, if you were going to design a work culture and you had somebody, let's put it this way. Somebody said to you, design the work culture for an organization and it goes into effect next month. What would that look like to you, Delena? Wow, I could think about that question for a long time. But I'll tell you what's on my mind right now. And it's a little bit about what you just spoke to, which is you get your work done when you feel good. If you're not feeling you know, accountable or motivated, it serves no purpose to, to be present. And I think people reach that climax in different ways um, and trying to attain it in you know, one nitty gritty kind of culture, I don't think works. Something I'm really a fan of is a time frame to come in. So maybe like a two hour, so you can come anytime between 6 and six a.m. and 8 a.m. Um, but you're going to work the same number of hours. But if, if you slept early that night and you think you'll be productive at 6 a.m., show up at 6 a.m. If you want to come in later at 8, do that. Um, you are going to put in the work for the same number of hours. However, there's maybe some flexibility on the front end or, or the tail end. That's something that's been on my mind. Environment is a huge thing for me personally. I spoke about it a lot, especially in my new role, because there are very few windows where I sit. Environment is a big thing. I think that plays a huge role in your culture. And you may not crave that you know, afternoon walk if you have the sun beaming in. I've been reading a lot and seeing a lot of new uh, construction with games and like turf for putt-putt golf in the workplace or even a keg. I did see that at a, at a digital marketing company. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I'd be lying if I said that I wouldn't like it, but I think there there needs to be boundaries. And if, if your work hours are healthy and you know, you're comfortable in your workplace, I think it's appropriate to do other activities once you leave. I have mixed feelings about, about all the fun and games, but definitely important are the hours, flexibility in the hours, and then environment for certain. Okay, Luke, if you had to design a work culture next month, tell me what that would look like. That's a very good question, Jan. I would say that it would very much depend on the company and what my employees are like. Um, every work culture is going to be different because the employees are going to be very different. But I would say from a Gen Z perspective, uh, I really do love the flexibility of that came about from this un very unfortunate pandemic. Um, but I think that 
being able to work from home is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Right now, as I've mentioned um, before the podcast recording started, I'm in Germany working uh, and I'm working here for a month. So it's a great opportunity to um, kind of get out into the world if you want to travel a little bit. But at the same time, I'm going to be coming back and I'm not leaving. I, I want to make sure that I can get into the office. Uh, I was also blessed with being able to uh, start at my company with at least a month and a half before the pandemic. So I got to see a little bit of how they work in the office and make sure I, I really have that mindset of work, 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 but then relax. Um, and, I, and it was already flexible in the sense that they would allow any uh, parent with, with children that needed to be dropped off at um, daycares that they could come in late or early, whatever. Um, and that's really wonderful. So I think that um, props to my company that they've already implemented the flexibility before the pandemic. But I think that the, the flexibility of being able to work from home is, is so wonderful that I wouldn't want to trade that for the world. I think managers and leaders uh, today are going to have trouble if they are not comfortable in trusting their teams in the work from home environment, because it really does come down to trust and empowerment. And those who are strong on trust and empowerment, which, as you know, are two very important traits of authentic leaders, then they'll be able to handle it. And they'll have people in the office when they need to be there, not because, you know, somebody said it's two days a week and it's nine to four or whatever it is. So it'll be very interesting to see how that evolves. Agreed. And I, I think it's very interesting, though, because I think uh, Gen Z uh, coming into the workplace it's really important to have those kinds of water cooler discussions and things like that. And so that there is a, something that's missed, um, but maybe there's room for creativity in engaging employees. Yeah, it's well said. It, it is a hybrid model. That's what we need, right? Just figuring out what it is. And then I think leaders have to try something. You know, they have to talk to their people try something and say, you know what, if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. It's okay. You know, you don't always have to be right. Do you know what I was thinking about as I was listening to you guys? Jan, you mentioned that you have to trust your employee and trust is very important in order to maybe make that hybrid move. But what about the people for the past year who have been hired to a new role completely remote? You know, what are their expectations when they maybe leave that job and then are searching for another job in three to five years or, you know, what's their mindset after they had that experience? And what does that look like for the future, for um, HR, for the hiring managers, for the expectations of the employees? Um, that was really heavy on my mind while I was listening to you guys talk. Yeah, yeah, I think... There is definitely a point where people need to come together, but I believe that it will force leaders to be more intentional about bringing teams together for collaboration. There will be events, knowing that some people were hired during COVID, some people were, you know, were hired and have never actually set foot into the office, right? That forces the leader to be very intentional, to say, look, you know what, Tuesday afternoon, we're having lunch. And we're going to focus on something, I don't know, whatever, but it's going to be very intentional. It's going to force them 
to be intentional if, if they want to make this work. Otherwise, people are going to feel adrift and they're going to leave. And it, right now, it's all about attraction and retention. Let's switch into, uh, well, it's all leadership related, but let's talk about an authentic leader. I know that you've both read the 21 Traits of Authentic Leaders. I'd like to know, what do you expect from a leader? Let's start with Luke this time. I think that um, leadership from, to quote an article from the Harvard uh, Business Review, or not quite quote it, summarize it, um, leadership really falls down into categories of power and attractiveness. Um, both of those, uh, I guess, would include pros and cons. And I think that leadership needs both. So power can be uh, charisma, uh, some confidence, and I think we need that in a leader. Uh, anyone that's going to follow someone isn't going to follow someone that doesn't uh, I guess, show confidence. Uh, in addition to that, they need this attractiveness of uh, approachability and an agreeableness to an extent, um, but it, it can't get out of hand either. So I think that you need a both, a both and. Yeah, I I like that. And when you first said attractiveness, I at first I was like, what? <laughs> I thought, what? What? You mean they got to be good looking? But that's not what you meant at all. And I get, I totally get what not you mean, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> I know, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, but <laughs> it's I, interesting way of saying it. Yeah, I know. But, but, but you're talking about people that attract people to them. They pull people into their position, right? It's that gravitas. Oh, <gasps> there it is. There it is. Yes. No, but you're 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 right. It's the certain people have that personality where you uh, you feel because they're confident and comfortable in their own skin, mm -hmm. right? And they exude this this warmth and kindness. You feel safe around them, so you're attracted to them. Um, did I did I summarize? No, that? I think Is that's it? very good. It it kind of summarizes both sides: the the power and attractiveness, because. You know, I think that there can be a gravitas or a gravity to people that just have power, but that can turn very ugly very fast. Um, and not to get off topic from the work life, but um, I've been listening to another podcast that's very separate from work, but it basically, um, the, this podcast that I, I was listening to was showing it was a journalistic view of a, a church that was the rise and fall of a mega church and the the leader the pastor had the power side but uh, there was a lot of, of negative um, things about this leader and, and there was an unfortunate downfall um, because of this leader uh, that had hurt a lot of people so uh, just to kind of bring that back it, there can be a lot of attractiveness in a say in a sense uh, from power uh, and being able to uh, exude confidence but you very much need to have some sort of approachability and humility it's never uh, a one or the other you have to have both yeah yeah you have to lead with warmth correct yeah there's warmth there's competence there's warmth and competence and you have to lead with warmth because if you don't it goes right to establishing trust, right? If you come across with, you know, those people that, that you meet right away and they go, hey, I'm the 
vice president of blah 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 and X company. It's a 10, 50, whatever, mil, billion dollar company, right? That you immediately go, oh. And then if they try to follow that with warmth, it doesn't work. But if you meet somebody and they say, hi, you know, I'm Luke, how you doing? Right. And then during the conversation, you find out that they actually have power because of their position. That's a whole different thing. Yeah, I, I would say even that that's not uh, as common as you'd, you'd think. Uh, it's a very great thing to find uh, when you can find that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's ego. You know, people have uh, driven a lot by egos. We all have egos, you know, good and bad. All right. So Delena, tell us, what do you expect from a leader? All of us are human. I should say that first. Um, but leaders who are relatable in reason and purpose, I think are incredibly easier to follow and to be inspired by. Um, we talked a little bit about clarity earlier in the show, and I think purpose is tied into that. Um, I like leaders who maybe at the start of their day ask themselves, how do I want to be remembered? Um, how do I want to make an impact on other people's lives? How can I help those around me? Um, really realizing their purpose on earth and pushing the limits of like the greatest version of themselves. And I think leaders who practice and embody those things are the best to be around and create um, like high performers around them as well. Um, something that even happened today uh, with being adaptable and being that relatable leader, you know, Jen and I were speaking and, and I thought that this podcast may not have been possible at this moment. And she brought me back to earth and, and showed that, you know, we'll just make it work. We, we will find a way. And that inspired me to feel even more accountable to make it work. And, and she led by example and, you know, it trickled down to me. So I think leaders who, who really show that purpose, vocalize it, and embody it um, are the best of their kind. You know, something that I believe in passionately is reverse mentorship. And I, I think you guys have heard me tell the story, but several years ago in my corporate job, there was a young woman, um, I call her out, Danielle Leone. She's going to hate me. I call her out all the time. <laughs> uh, but there's a blog on my website about it. And I was always very impressed with the way that she questioned me. Always very respectful, but she was genuinely, you know, wanted to know more about what I did and how I did it. And she was helping me get ready for an industry presentation. And I was tired. You know, it was a Friday night. I was tired. And she says, well, I think you can do better on that, that part. You know, let's do that again. And I'm like, really? God, you know, you're a young girl. Go out. And don't you, aren't you going to go out to the bar or something? Leave me alone, right? <laughs> but we developed this wonderful relationship where I learned so much from her. And so often when you talk about mentorship, it's the more senior level person sitting down with the younger person saying, I, let me tell you, you know, let me share with you and impart my knowledge to you, young one, right? And that's not 
you know, I'm all about everything being equal. I like things to be equal. Well, if some person elevates themselves on this platform that they think that they have all the answers and they're going to impart that knowledge to you, you know, they do themselves a disservice because they shut the door to any fresh eyes or any input that you have. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer in reverse mentoring, and I'd love to see more of it. I, I see a few companies catching on to it now, but again, it takes a leader who's comfortable in their own skin to be able to, to receive that feedback, and it has to be delivered respectfully. So tell me your thoughts on reverse mentoring, and have you actually experienced that in your career? Let's uh, stay with Luke this time. Go ahead, Luke. Yeah, I think that the reverse mentoring, especially what you had mentioned about yourself and Danielle, uh, ties back to the mission, though. I, I think that the reverse mentoring and the questioning um, really proves that Danielle was in line with your mission. Uh, I don't think that you're going to get a lot of questions or um, criticism, like healthy criticism, unless someone is in line with that. First, I'd like to say that it proves that the mission is really important. Uh, and that's what really ties it all together. Have you had a mentor at all? I, I personally haven't had one in particular, but I've been very mm -hmm. blessed with some managers who would ask me what questions I might have. So even bring my questions out, because um, maybe I don't know what questions I have, but I know there's something there that maybe I just don't know what to ask. And so maybe there'd be a manager who asks me, you know, what I thought of something that, and it br brings out my question for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Delena? First of all, I know we're Gen Z, but we don't have cooties. So yes, you could, you could receive feedback from us too. Um, I think it's an honorable role to have and, I have experienced it, um, and it's great in a lot of ways, but especially because um, you're useful in a way that you previously wouldn't have known that you could be. Um, a lot of things that I thought may have been obvious um, to this leader that I experienced reverse mentoring with uh, were not obvious. And I was a little bit shocked by it. Sometimes it was funny. Um, other times we had to get serious and, and clarify that um, the language that we use or even our facial expressions sometimes are, are not as obvious as we think they are. Um, and I think that having that reverse mentoring relationship is, is a great thing in the workplace. And it's just all around great. I had it with a woman, so I... I especially appreciated it for that reason. Um, and she actually was a guest on your show. So um, she's a great leader, obviously. And she has some awesome, authentic leadership uh, characteristics. Good, good. That's good to hear. Yeah. I always ask my guests, how do they start their day? So I'm going to ask you guys the same question. So Luke, how do you start your day? Would you like the answer that is, how would I like to start my day or how I do start my day? I, this is all about being real and authentic, my friend. How do you really start yeah, your day? So I think that depends on if I got a good night's sleep. <laughs> I think that it all falls down to that. Um, if I did not get a good night's sleep, 
a lot of times I can roll off my bed, start work, and then get coffee later. And that's never a good thing. I, I know it, <laughs> but sometimes it, it just happens. Um, other days, um, I've actually, um, so I'm a Christian and I have a, a someone that went to my church uh, when I was younger. He um, went to a college for communications and other things like that, but he's has a podcast for productivity uh, from a Christian perspective. Uh, I went through a little class of his and it was really cool. It, he had a, a morning routine set up and I, I try to follow that actually. Uh, so it's exercise, it could be um, praying, it could be reading the Bible. Um, but I think that always helps me align. So if, it, if you're not religious, um, just meditating in some way or getting a few minutes um, without your phone too. So that's a big part of what his class was is get up and spend whatever amount of time that you decide, but without your phone, uh, without any distractions. Um, so I think that's important. Yeah, it's about setting up your mindset, setting up your day for success, right? Yeah. Delena? I follow, surprisingly, very similar routine to Luke. Um, one thing definitely is for sure, I do not start my phone with my day. So to be extremely descriptive, my Alexa speaker um, slash alarm clock wakes me up. In a very peaceful way, it starts quiet and slowly the volume increases. Um, that actually has helped me because when my alarm was on my phone, there are just so many temptations to start looking through your phone first thing. I also embrace some kind of, you know, little scripture. I have a, a quote, um, a little quote book next to my next to my bed that has the date, um, and that's usually a short read. And then I like to go downstairs. For just a couple minutes before work, I don't, before I leave for work, I don't eat breakfast. Um, but oftentimes my dad is downstairs and I really take advantage of the time to talk to him, um, see what plans he has for the day. And then I also kind of get to clear my mind and think about what I have planned. So that's always been part of my routine because uh, he used to drive me to school when I was young. So, you know, I think that routine has stuck with me and I'll miss it when I no longer live at home. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's very interesting. I, I love what you said too, Delina. And and I think it all just comes down to no phone. And then it doesn't have to be a long time that you're up doing stuff, but just having a routine of doing something without your phone um, and setting your mind right each day. That, that's really the goal. I, I think that that's what we really need to get to. Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be surprised by that, right? I think there's, there's this perception that Gen Z, uh, you wake up and you're like, oh, immediately in the digital world, right? And it, it's the worst thing you could do for your for your day because you've got to set yourself up for success. And, and true, um, you know, to be honest, that, that does happen. Um, but agree, I agree that, you know, if we don't do it, you're going to be set up for success. Um, but it, it certainly does happen and you can fall back into that. Um, at least for myself, um, it's easy to either think maybe, maybe a little nervous about some meetings at work and you, you look at your calendar and you start looking at some emails or you could just be on social media and then, you know, you get dragged down that endless hole uh, of scrolling. So I, I try to limit that as much as possible. Yeah, I'll be honest on the weekend. I do like to sit in my bed on my phone or play music that I like and open up my drapes. Um, but there's a time and place for that. On a work day, 
um, that's not how I choose to start my day. But there are some days where, where I do embrace that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you've got you've got to you got to relax. You know, the, another question I always ask my guests uh, because they tend to be senior leaders, right? And I say, what advice would you give to your twenty five year old self? And the reason I ask them that question is with you guys in mind, right? That you're going to be listening, and and that you get something from that. And so I got to flip the script on that this time, right? So I'm going to ask you, what advice would you give? to senior level leaders in business today. Luke. You know, I'm going to bring us back to my first job at a movie theater. I've realized sometimes that higher up leaders are out of touch with starter roles or other roles that are um, not in management. Uh, so at, at a movie theater, you could have a manager or supervisor that kind of maybe they started where you started, but they've forgotten what it's like in the day to day and they may push you or they might expect certain things of you where, you know, the people that are on the ground level just don't, don't understand how they would expect to get something done because maybe there's a process that isn't really efficient. Um, so I think really getting down with the, entry level or starter positions and understanding what it's like to be using the processes that are put into place. I think that's very important. Mm, yeah, very good. Delena. The piece of advice that I would give to today's leaders, senior leaders, would be to be more honest and vulnerable with your struggles. Um, with your failures, um, I think that in doing so, you not only help others learn from your mistakes, but you're more relatable and you open a door to conversations and opportunities that may have not previously existed um, when you set yourself on this pedestal. So um, I think that I've connected best with leaders who are honest in, in those experiences and and oftentimes they embody not, not only do they share those experiences, but they're also awesome listeners. So they get the chance to learn more about me or more, you know, about really anyone on their team once they can open their ears a little bit, you know, share those experiences with us, but definitely open our, open their ears so that they can learn who we are and, and what we're made of. And I think that's, that's really important and appreciated in leaders. Um, and then for a little bit of a twist, um, I think when you're a senior leader, just don't forget to embody, you know, who you want to be, um, like by living your future truth. Um, I hear a lot of leaders talk about, you know, like when I'm retired, I'm going to do this. Or when I have this much in my bank account, this is what I'm going to do. And it's, you know, sometimes a turnoff. I hear, I hear that often. So, you know, just live your future self uh, today. Boy, I love that. That's great. That's great. Um, I want to go back to to your answer for a moment, Luke, because I'm think I'm thinking about it. I'm processing it, right? And as uh, a senior leader, my first 
response to that is to push back on it, right? And to say, I can't possibly be down there in all those entry-level jobs, understanding what's going on. What do you mean? But I think if, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will, I think what you're saying is, and I've seen this many times in my career, right? You'll see decisions being made in the C-suite, right? Without any regard for what's happening or how that manifests at the working level, right? So leaders really need to open up the communication lines and don't make decisions in a vacuum in a conference room without understanding the impact that they will have throughout the organization. Did I did I get some of that right? I want to be sure I understood it properly. No, that's very correct. I love the way you summarized that. I think that maybe the words I chose were maybe not the best. Um, I, I don't expect leadership to be um, watching over employees. I think they, they need some autonomy. But I think uh, one example, and I'd love to I'll give credit to my company for this, is um, one time there was a lot of um, changeover, a lot of different uh, things that were happening for, for our uh, positions. And we were asked, or our managers were asked to get uh, each ground level worker um, to give them a percentage of time that they're spending on each task that they're doing. And it, it's an example of basically understand, at least trying to understand where time is being spent. Um, so that could also kind of help us uh, find areas where processes are inefficient. So I think at least, like you said, communication streams, if you can open up communication streams and um, at least understand where every employee is, uh, that's really helpful. Okay. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you both on the show and sharing your your very uh, open and honest perspectives. Um, it's very much appreciated. And I think it's extremely valuable to leaders today. So Delena, thank you. Thank you so much, Jan. I know our listeners can't see us, but it's been all smiles this whole time. And <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Luke, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much, Jan. Uh, I've missed talking to you, so I'm very glad I got the opportunity again. Yes, and I think, you know what, Luke, you and I shared a stage once together, didn't we? We did. We did. <laughs> the ISM what an conference. Honor that was. And I think we uh, I think we will do it again, and then maybe we'll get uh, Delena up there with us next That'd time. That'd be great. I'm in. Send me an invite. I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great one. Thank you again. Thank you so much again. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Automotive Leaders Podcast. Click the listen link in the show notes to subscribe for free on your platform of choice. And don't forget to download the 21 Traits of Authentic Leadership PDF by clicking on the link below. And remember... Stay true to yourself, be you, and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership.